This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 34, First Round Strategies, Trading with Hakan. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Alright, you're here. We're not putting anything off any longer. We're doing Hakan's episode today. Yeah, but that's... We're just, <laughs> we're just doing it, finally. Boy, these guys right. are going to quit kicking the can down the road. Right, we are. It's, we're doing it. Right. right, Hunter? Yeah, yeah, we are. We're, we're doing, doing the Hakan. We're doing the Hakan. We're doing a Hakan episode. A Hakan episode. We're doing some sort of Hakan episode today. Yeah, guys, we are going to give you part one of an episode... <laughs> Guys, what does that mean? That means we didn't. We're not doing all of we're it. We're not gonna do all of it. We're not yeah. doing all of it. We're doing right. some of it. Right. So, uh, just to be completely transparent at the top, um, we sat down to make uh, an outline for a normal episode, and that section of the episode that we devote to trade and commodities was ballooning like you wouldn't believe. Just exploding. The episode outline was pregnant <laughs> with like lots of possible discussion. And also I I, I I just felt like, you know what? How about we just cut this baby out? Our Hakan discussion was a pregnant cat mm-hmm. and it was about to have a litter of kittens right. all over right. this podcast. So instead of introducing you to the mama cat and yes. all the kittens at once we're just going to introduce you to the litter yes and here's the litter mama cat next yep. episode so yeah what does part one mean what why are we doing a part one what was the litter you said trade. um so essentially the litter is that the meta and uh the the not only the meta so much as like the way that you conduct yourself when you're playing hakan uh and the way that you negotiate your trades is so important yep that to try and discuss it while also discussing all the other things that you have to do as a con, like all the normal race stuff, right? Uh, seemed obnoxious. Like yeah. it seems like it's going to be a lot easier for us to just kind of define all of the trade stuff, the right. all of the extra stuff that's a con only, pretty much, right? Um, outside of that episode, and then give you a very like straightforward, right. by the numbers race guide. Yeah, the, you can think of it this kind of way. Every time. We came to a question, and I would ask Hunter, like, okay, so what, what, what is your tech path? Well, the answer would vary wildly, and one of the biggest things that kept coming up was, well, are people holding trade yeah. over me, or is this the one of the games where Hakan just runs away with... Like, Hakan, the, the powerhouse of Hakan varies so greatly on how the board treats them... Yeah. That it's hard to discuss. Compare this to other powerhouse races like Soul and uh, Jolnar. Soul. You've never. Th- you, you still, there's not you still a race. get planets really well. Right. Well, and, and Jolnar, like, yeah, people could attack you early, but, like, their benefits are outside of the meta. Hakan. But there's less variance. That's, that's less what I'm variance. saying is that, like, Soul, Soul has, like, a very distinct, like, you do this mm-hmm. and it works well for you a little too well, as far as we can see right now. Right. Uh, Jolnar, it's like, you do tech. Okay, cool. Hakan is you. Cool. 
cooperate with the rest of the table and like get trade goods out of that. Right. Like, like you don't, you have less that is just guaranteed and the the variance of your advantage right. can be completely wild. Yeah. Basically. It's, it's, and we, we have, over the course of all the games the two of us have played has, as Hakan, we've had completely different experiences experiences across every single kind of game I mean, your your hakan game sounded like uh, a magic christmas land except for i still lost right. like it i mean it, it is so hard to say like what guaranteed leads to hakan winning so let's let's talk about uh what we're going to discuss well hit, in today's episode but to get to that point let's talk about the most recent we played a game super recently that was supposed to be like the last ditch effort to get all the information that we needed Mm-hmm. And this was a game on uh, Tabletop Simulator with some of our people from our Discord. We played with David S. Noor. We played with Unaligned Magi, finally. Finally got a, a full game in with Unaligned oh, yeah. Magi, it was, right? It was definitely, uh, we, get, we got to know him a lot as a player. Yeah, and we finally, uh, we played with uh, Rolo, Ledgerman Rolo, Ledgerman of the Cones, one of our patroners. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we also played with our buddy Connor um, yeah. of Confusingly Legal Text fame. Right. So... <laughs> The six of us sat down and played on t- Tabletop Simulator. I was uh, working on Yin. Hunter was working on y- Hakan. So here's the thing. The <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard for us to actually remember this game very well because uh, it has been a minute. But also, um, we saw something we that we had. I mean, I'm, I hadn't seen it yet. Have you seen this nope. at all yet? Never seen uh, this. We saw a player elimination. In round effectively two. Right. He Unaligned Magi. We joke about getting to play a full game with him. Uh, in round two, he got gutted and basically kind of had to roll over and die uh, because there was no way he would ever recover so he was kind of just like uh if you just go ahead and eliminate me i can go play another game right (laughs) which they did they they cut him out so by round i think it was by round four he was a hundred percent out. Maybe it was literally five. insane. Um, and it's, I guess it kind of sucks that we are sort of airing his dirty laundry mm-hmm. on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, he's had like five plays of the weeks. He's right, fine. Right, right. <laughs> on a line like this, you know. Twilight Imperium, it's a random swerving game of lots of madness. This um, was Unaligned Magi's 67th game of TI4. Right. So, you know, you do the math. Right. He's fine. He's he's fine. He's a good player. Um, but David saw a very uh, an opening and he went for it and it was it was literally insane. It was it was like yeah. it I you know we saw player elimination. Right. And then we've just been hearing more and more lately that there's more and more player elimination. I don't yeah, know what it is that, about Within you that week, within that week, there were at least three eliminations in the tabletop simulator community. Maybe four. I forget if there was a fourth. But there was definitely three. I played another game two days later that had another player elimination. Within one week, I had two player eliminations. You people are getting ruthless is what we're yeah, trying to say. because we're building up to the tournament and everyone's seeing what they can get away with. Well, let's talk about what that elimination did to the board uh it was it was a very strange situation because in general all of the and like it's weird i've played with david s nor before even as a con and i was very much like into his meta and playing into it as well but seeing him eliminate a player pretty much i mean from that point on the rest of the table was having so many secret conversations about him yeah basically yeah it was was a constant like 
what are we like are we about to see like him snowball like yeah. what is about to there's happen like a whisper here? chat function in tabletop simulator for those that don't use it and i was literally whispering ev- all four other players or all three other players i guess since right. paul was out uh i was whispering everyone else just being like okay what are we doing about david what right. are we gonna do now we have to do something we you don't get to not do something right you everyone's gonna take part this is now a war against david because David has two pie slices. Right. So what do we do? Right. And uh, to kind of throw the kibosh on all that, it, it, it ended with David not winning. And, and in fact, not being in a, much of a lead, if I, I don't remember really, right. Yeah, I don't remember where he was point He wise. may have had a path to victory, but he was not the front runner right. at any point. And um, you yeah. won. Matt won. I won. I won as the Yin Brotherhood. Um I don't want to talk about the game too much as far as like strategy stuff, but I used my abilities like three times as the yin. Yeah. So cool. Neat. Hunter's Law, right? Yeah, that's Hunter's Law Boy, all howdy. the way. Is yeah. You get to do it three times. Really loved it. Was really into everything I was not doing as the yin and all right, the decisions I wasn't yeah. making. Um, no, the truth, the truth of it is I got very lucky. Uh, with objectives, uh, very similar to my Winu game that I won on stream. Um, with these bad races, you rely on that. You rely on luck mm-hmm. with the objectives. If mm-hmm. I if I'd gotten a single, <laughs> I'm and I'm serious. I mean, if I'd gotten a single objective that was just like, well, I'm never getting that. You know, you always have that. You get a secret objective, and it's right. like that's not the one I'm ever gonna do. Right. I never had that situation in this right. game, and that makes or breaks uh, one of these bad races. Yeah. If I had gotten even one secret objective that, that was just like impossible that slows me down a whole round of doing the secondary of imperial it slows me down like multitudes of ways and i I would have never won had i not basically had every objective lined up for me in an easy decent way yeah Uh, it helped that there was an obvious enemy the fact that david s nor did what he did meant that as the yin people try to talk about yin as this sort of mercenary you can get people to pay you to attack the leader well i don't think that's really true but you can ruthlessly attack someone i, I never got paid to, to to attack david but no one was encroaching on my territory while i was attacking david because it was agreed that david is the bigger problem right so i had about three rounds of not a very well established pie slice of my own but everyone was kind of like we got to let him do his work over there because if we attack him he'll retreat david will run away with it right it was seen as, I, I think to most players, it was probably seen as, if we just let Yin deal with this, Yin's never going to win, because they'll, but because I got lucky objectives, that's why it all worked out. Yeah. I was, I was able to do both. Right, right. Like, I was hoping to just kind of like stay in the shadows as a right. con and just get all my passive stuff done. Um, and I, I was getting, I was doing good. I just couldn't, I, yeah. they came down a speaker order in the end. You were ahead, yeah. you were to my, uh, to my right. Yeah. And, uh. And yeah, that's that's what it came down to. But let's not let's you know I, that almost sounded like you were about to go into the Yin episode, Matt. Nope, nope not doing that. Yeah, not doing that. We're um, doing we're the saving first that one. When, when are we going to do the Yin episode? Let's. Uh, I'm pretty confident that it will come out immediately after part two of the Hakan. There, there's nothing to delay for me for Yin. You're right. Yeah, there's no way it could ever get delayed. Ever, never, ever, point, ever, never, never, ever. Well, just so, like these episodes could never have gotten delayed. Right, these episodes could have never gotten delayed. And if we're <laughs> being completely honest, we actually recorded the Yin strategy guide before we even got Twilight Imperium Four. Yeah, we recorded it like six months ago. Right. Yeah. 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 
and it's it's good called stuff. SCPT Arata colon Yin Brotherhood. Yeah, it's really That's good. You should guy. check that one out. Yeah, it's a good it's a good episode. Um, all right, so let's talk. Let's you know meow. Um, get your kibble right. Yep, here we go. Get your um, get your toy. Get your little cat toy out. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna tease you for the next uh, who knows six hours. Um, Hunter, what are we? We're talking about trade today, right? We're talking about the relationships that Hakan has with the board. We're talking about how you hold yourself. We're not. What are we not talking about? Let's cover um, that. We're not going to talk about tech path. Okay. We're not going to talk about um, units, flagship stuff. We're not. Right. Gonna, we're not going to talk about strategy cards. Besides trade, obviously, we're only going to talk about the trade strategy card. We're not going to talk about any of the other contingencies. Uh, we are not really talking about the like. Promissory notes. We're not even really talking about the like what makes you a superpower or like what your what your goals are over the course of multiple rounds. A lot of today's episode is going to be kind of like a singular moment look at like what happens for Hakan when trade gets played. Right. And what are the ramifications of what happens when trade gets played? What happens for the rest of the round or like into the next round after trade gets played? This is essentially like a what what do you do when you play trade? What do you do when other players play mm-hmm. trade? And how do you negotiate with people? And what are what negotiate like what is reasonable to try and negotiate with, yeah. and what isn't? Um, and actually, I'm kind of thinking that some of this stuff hasn't really been set in stone yet. Right. So one of the reasons that I'm excited about putting this out there is that if you guys smack this episode down then we will have to figure out what like what is standard for her right. because yeah. it doesn't feel like a lot of things really are. Yeah, so we want you guys to be vocal in response to this episode. Yeah. Um if if there's a lot of stuff you disagree with the 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 things we're talking about on a meta level, if your group works completely differently, let us know because there are so many things within Hakan conversations that we just can't account for because we have only seen so much. Right. But Hakan, more than any other faction, can vary wildly between playgroups. So if you play with a group that is just like, allows nothing from Hakan, is always putting the hammer down. We've had some, a couple games like that. Or if you have a group that is just like, we see Hakan as just like the way for everyone to get rich. Like right. if, if your group always replenishes all commodities, whatever, like we need to hear from all of the different metas because uh, it changes what you do as Hakan drastically. And we're going to try with this strategy guide right now, which this is not a guide, but with this episode that you're listening to, we're going to try and strike a happy medium. We're not going to assume that all the other players at the table are letting you get away with everything, but we're also not going to assume that all the other players at the table are clamping down on you hardcore. Right. We're going to try and hit like what... What's an average Yeah, like like what's the average expectation? And that's why I do want to know like if if it feels like this is not average to you if you this feels really off base to you i want to know because i want to see how many like how much variance there is because in trying to put this episode together honestly guys like i I want i want a little bit a little bit of respect before we get deep (laughs) into it uh this is this is a very hard race to do this with because jolnar it was kind of a hard one to do because it's like, oh, like their tech path could be basically anything. anything. But they're at least limited. Their advantage is limited to the entire tech path. Right. With Hakan, it's like their advantage is, yeah. All economy. <laughs> right. It's all economy. And depending on how that plays out with the table, that could vary wildly. Like mm-hmm. you could be completely shut out and all you get is the three trade goods from trade. Right. But let's, with let's, all this talk of like all the craziness, yeah. let's get down to brass tacks. What 
is the on-paper Hakan abilities. Yes. What is on the sheet? We're not sheet? gonna cover like the racial tech. We're not gonna cover not we'll talk the flagship. It. We're just right. gonna cover the things that relate to this conversation that of revolves trade. around trade. Right. So Hunter, give me, first off, the most important thing to note with the Emirates of Hakan is they have six commodities. Right. No one else has six commodities. And not only that, no one else has more than four. There is no five commodity faction. Mm -hmm. So Hakan has significantly more commodities right. than every single other right. faction. Hunter, what are the rest of their abilities? So the first ability is called Masters of Trade. You do not have to spend a command token to resolve the secondary ability of the trade strategy card. Okay, so as with every strategy card, the secondary usually revolves on spending a command counter. Mm -hmm. This is the same as it was in TI3 for them. They just get to, they will always be allowed to do it. So right. every time trade gets played, you're getting your commodities. Right. You will, you will replenish. Right. Um, their second ability is called Guild Ships. You can negotiate transactions with players who are not your neighbor. Very useful. Very especially useful. Especially round one, super yeah. useful. Especially useful, especially useful in conjunction with the fact that you have six commodities. You can deal with anyone. Everyone else is limited to whoever they establish as neighbors. This gives you a ungodly amount of power around one right when people have no or very few neighbors right you have five always you've always got five right. neighbors well i would actually like to point out a distinction there yeah. it's not that you have five neighbors sure sure it's that you can do transactions you can do transactions sure, but you're not your neighbor absolutely but you've got five people that you can wheel and deal with i just i just want to point out that the wording is so is special yes. in that you're getting it's better than... It's called the Mentac Clause. Right, the Mentac <laughs> Clause. Um, it's nice. It's very good. Um, your last ability is called Arbiters. Uh, when you are negotiating a transaction, action cards can be exchanged as part of that transaction. It's kind of a little, little sugar on top, a little yeah. bit of icing on the cake. Yeah, it's like they didn't even... This is one where didn't it's like, it. didn't even really quite need it, but yeah. I'm really glad somebody can do it, and I'm glad it's a con. Yep. Um, now... I think the thing I want to cover, and this is going to probably maybe annoy some people, um, but for everyone uh, who might be newer to the game, who kind of need this refresher, I'm just going to read to you now the trade strategy card. Yeah, but we want to do it really specifically because there are actually some uh, confusions or or misunderstandings about like the order of operations with trade. Right. And those order of operations become very, very important when you're the Hakan. Right. So Hunter, spell it all out for me in order. These, the, think of this as we're going to break it down into when transactions can occur and when things will be binding versus non-binding. That's yes, where all yes. of this is important is these are going to be a bunch of distinct moments. And so each moment means if everything is happening within that moment, it is binding. Right. Otherwise, lots of things get split up. And when, anytime something gets split, it's non-binding. Uh, transactions, however, just to, before we even get this out there, transactions can occur at any time. Yes, no matter but what. But it all, like, if it's going to be binding, it has to all happen within the same timing window. That being said, the primary ability of trade, first, with a bullet, gain three trade goods. That happens in a timing. You get three. Yep. Bam. Next, with a bullet, replenish commodities. That happens in the same, t in your, in one timing. And this is your commodities. Mm -hmm. Get replenished. The last thing that happens is you then choose any number of other players. Those players use the secondary ability of this strategy card without spending a command token. Now, you're just choosing the ones to right. do it. They aren't replenishing in that timing. Yeah, we, we have gotten confirmation from Dane before about the, the activity that is happening during this bullet is the choosing. The, the language could maybe be read as somewhat vague, but the idea is 
you choose the people, they will then, during their timing window of the secondary, get to do it for free. You are not choosing them and they immediately flip over their, right, or replenish their commodities. They don't immediately do it. They wait until their turn in order. When the secondary happens, you go from your left in speaker order around the table to do everyone spends one token from your strategy pool to replenish commodities. So within the secondary, there are technically five or less, depending on how many players you're playing with, but there are five other timing windows of each player deciding whether or not they are or are not replenishing their commodities and spending a command counter. And I want to point something out. We are not normally sticklers for timing windows, but... It matters. It does matter. (laughs) And with Hakan, it actually, I think, helps us put this together because we are trying to recommend to you how to play Hakan in a way that is so by the book right. that it's like you're you're going to be fine. What's, That's what we want to do. What is so funny about Hakan is like in doing research for this episode and also just things we've had like sent to us, ideas for plays we've had for Hakan. Hakan is the only faction that I've seen where people try to come up with rules for themselves that like neutralize themselves. Right. Hakan is so dependent on the meta that people have actively worked against it and been like, I am going to operate as though I am a trade computer. Everyone will always know yeah. the deal when they yeah. come to me and there is no budging on the deal. Like people try these things because it's the only faction you can do that with. Like there is no other computerized faction. Like you have to consider these things when you play as Hakan. You have to consider how you're going to trade with people. So let's let's start this conversation of these, you know, why we're why we broke all these things into these se- sequences by saying, let's say you're the Hakan and you took trade. How yeah, how do you like how do you be the master of ceremonies for trade when you have the strategy card? And um I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I I am the type of Hakan player that does recommend that you try and take trade. Yeah. Lots. You should yeah, you'll see that when we get to our guys. The only time we'll kind of give away like what maybe our first round pick for strategy card mm-hmm. is. Uh we won't talk about strategy cards much else beyond that, but you almost always want trade. Right. So what are the different ways that you can kind of be a master of ceremonies as a Hakan trade player? Well, the first one that I think we see a lot, especially with new players, is to be what we're calling a noble trade czar. This is where you replenish everyone yeah. automatically. This is really common um, in especially groups where everyone is new. If, every, if this is everyone's first time playing. Mm-hmm. Everyone can recognize that Twilight Imperium is so meta-dependent and so like, ooh, we got to figure out how are we reading it. It's all a Cold War. Like, we don't want anyone to step out of bounds. And the reaction to that usually is, well, as the trade person, I don't want anyone to hate me. So I, I'm going to replenish everybody because I just don't want to be the bad guy. Right, right. You're a bad guy if you don't replenish something. I mean, I could also see, though, in certain groups, the meta might play out that way where mm-hmm. they're like, oh, if you don't replenish everyone, then we all take that as like a threat. A slight, like, yeah. I mean, that's not how it works in our games, but no. I could see that happening. And in a lot of games, the more you play, the more you realize you have to hold some power in these trade negotiations. Mm-hmm. So for us... Uh, well, first off, Hunter, what do you get if you're the noble trade czar? What 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 does that do for you then? Everyone across the board, you're all going to get to replenish for free. Um, well, essentially, you have given away any sort of pre-negotiation power. Like right. you, like you have basically opened everything up, and you're just like, all right, well, let's just see what happens, and all the players are going to make trades with each yeah. other. 
Um, you might get nothing, right. essentially. You might get your three trade goods from trade. Like, if all the other players are like, we're just going to trade with each other and cut Hakan out, yep. because Hakan is that scary to some people, sure. um, then, yeah, that's bad. Like, I think that being a noble trade czar and replenishing everyone should almost never be done. Yeah, you shouldn't do it. Even if, when you're not playing Hakan. In fact, the only yeah. I think I think the only race that should ever be a noble trade czar is the Mentag, yeah. and it's obvious why. But yeah. Um, so yeah, don't, this first one, don't be a noble trade czar. Don't, you don't have to be a bad guy and you also also limit who gets money. Right. Like it it is okay to tell someone, no, I'm not replenishing you right now. Right. Because there's going to be a whole multitude of reasons why you may not want to replenish someone and to give everyone wealth, not only just increases the standing of the entire board, but it also could bring you down a notch right and this is your only advantage technically there we didn't read any abilities that were anything else beyond just like you have more access to trade they don't just gain more money they don't they don't gain a trade good for every time they replenish they don't get anything for free hakan has to work for everything that they get so you have to apply that mentality to when you play trade you got to work for this you can't just like hope everyone pays you right you, you, it's not going to be, you, you, no one will consider you noble enough to just like, yes, let's all pay Hakan and, and walk away. Right. So what's, what's a, what's a different option? Uh, so another way that you could do this, um, that I've seen talked about, and I think is, a, uh, an interesting idea, um, is to basically be a sort of tax collector, mm-hmm. uh, where you tell all of the players, Hey, I will refresh all of your commodities for free. If you pay me one of those commodities, um, first things first, because of the timing windows, um, you decide to choose yep. the players, and then we resolve the secondary. So what that means is that it is technically, by the rules of the game, a non-binding deal. That's just something I'm noting here. I'm sure. not saying that players are that, you know... Sketchy and that rude. That sketchy that they're <laughs> going to not agree to that deal. Yeah. But it could happen. Um, so this is saying, flat up, anyone can replenish if you give me one of the commodities. You right. can do whatever you want with the rest of your commodities, mm-hmm. but I want one if you want to be replenished, period. Hopefully you also decide to trade with me and we can make each other rich and yada, yada, yada. Right. But we're giving the baseline of there's a fee to replenish your commodities. Right. And what's interesting about this style is that you could make a lot of money. Yeah. You could make more money doing it this way than the way that we're even going to really... Like, really suggest. I mean, like, if you're taxing... If every player agrees and you tax them, then you're going to get... That's five trade goods right there. You got three for playing trade. So eight. And then, assuming you can do one-for-one trades, which we're going to for now, that is another six. Fourteen. Fourteen trade goods. If you got any favorable trades, it's more than fourteen. Right. That's a lot of money. It's hard to imagine, though, that you got favorable trades in a situation that also every single person refreshed. Right. But you start on like a weaker you start on a weaker footing too. Yeah. The yeah. fact that you taxed everyone, everyone goes, I don't know if I want to trade with right. you. Right. You probably won't get a lot more than the tax, I feel like. If, right. if everybody refreshes, then that might just be like that might be it for you. Yeah. And I mean to be honest though, what? That's that's eight that's not, you know, that's that's not horrible. And no. then you have a bunch of commodities now, right. which is good. What's but what are the other weaknesses here? How how can we I mean compare this to the noble trades are the noble trade star gives away all power. You just right. are powerless to what people are going to trade. The taxation, you give away still a decent amount. Mm-hmm. The people have the rest of their commodities, and they may still decide to completely cut you out. So yeah, your worst case scenario is you got paid by everyone. Actually, your worst case scenario is like only two people take you up on it. You get two commodities plus your 
three, like you made five bucks, and right. then now those two people are going to trade everything else with right, each other. Right. That isn't ideal. Right. That you're not going to, not everyone is going to agree. Uh, most two commodity races are going to be like, yeah, no, I don't need that one trade good that bad that I'm right. going to give you a trade. Exactly. Good. This is so, a horrible deal for anyone with two commodities. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I think in general, if you just try and play this tax collector style of just asking for commodities, um, you could make a lot of money, depends on the group, but I think in a lot of situations, you're not going to make as much as you could. And when you make a lot of money, you will not be liked for it. You will be actively disliked. There's a difference between right. people kind of like turning a blind eye versus you made a lot of money and it felt like I sacrificed something to let you get a lot of money and right. that sucks. People do not like to just have to pay you and not get anything yeah. out of it. Yeah. You can negotiate deals for yourself that are a little more favorable to you, right. sure, but the idea that somebody is going to pay you and then not really get much of anything sure. out of it, yeah, that's not so So great. the next one we're going to recommend has a little bit of a, uh, I, I feel like we need to preface it with, you could just go into trade every time kind of like, Let's see what we're going to get. Let's right. who's who, come on up to the table. Who wants to make a deal? Come on right. now. And right. like you can just be this auctioner of your own goods. But uh, I think the problem with that is, if anything, that's where Hunter and I ran into the most troubles of trying to do the guide is it's like, well, OK, that changes every single round that you do it. Just like come to the table and like who's ready to do something. Right. So we wanted to come up with a a version of. You know, the, the idea is like, okay, you find the person with four, you find the person with two, and you say, hey, I'll give you four for four, I'll give you two for two, right. we'll swappy swappy, and we'll all be happy. You could do that every single round and just like try to make ends meet, but there is a simpler path. Right. You can do the same thing with what Hunter's calling the pre-negotiation tactic. Right. So pre-negotiation works like this. Um, when you play trade, you get your three trade goods, then your, your commodities are replenished. Before you choose any of uh, the players that you're going to refresh for free, you say to them, I will give you two of my commodities for your trade agreement. A two-commodity race is going to agree to that because that is a two-for-two. Two. Even trade. And we solidly set it up. You get the trade agreement, and then you refresh their commodities, and all of that was binding. Yep. Um, what's great about this is that you are doing all of the negotiation before anyone else has an option to negotiate with each other. They don't even have their commodities right. yet. Right, they do not know if they're going to get to replenish. Right, they don't know, and they probably aren't planning to if unless you replenish them. So this way, you're only replenishing under the um, under the condition, basically, the, the implied condition that you don't even have to say right. that they are only trading with you. Yes, and you will make that money. That is... You will both make money, guaranteed, nothing else can happen. You are controlling the situation as best as you possibly can. It's worth noting here, we said offer two for a full thing. So what, you've got factions that have four commodities and three commodities right. and two commodities. Right. Are the four commodity factions going to take you up on this deal? Probably not. However, what's great about doing it this way is that you're also doing all of your negotiations one at a time. Right. So let's say the first race that I picked to talk to is a two commodity race. I do a two for two for them with them. They're happy. I'm happy. Even trade. Everybody's happy. I do another two for two with another race. Cool. That's great. Now I only have two commodities left over. So that's all there is on the table anyway. Right. If I come to a four commodity race or a three commodity race, it is essentially a take it or leave it. I'm going to get a little more, but yep. you're going to get something. Yes. Um, the other option, too, is if if the table is trying to put at least a little bit of a tighter grip on you, you could always change the deal a little bit. You can do four commodities for a four 
tr- for commodity races trade agreement if you have to. Right. What we're saying is try the other thing first. Yes. Try to get as because you can get more if you let's say you gave two commodities to three factions with three commodities. Mm-hmm. And you got all their trade agreements. You just made three extra bucks. Right. Congratulations. Yep. And that's your goal. Your goal is to make more than your standard nine. Right. Right. You get three trade goods for trade, and then just straight up flipping your six commodities gets you up to nine. You want to make more than nine. Uh, ideally, you make between nine and twelve. If you make more than twelve, you did some real uh, hustling. You did some very good hustling. And they again, this is another situation where they probably won't like it for you. A Hakan who makes twelve bucks might get away with it. Right. A Hakan that makes like ten or eleven. I don't think most of the table is going to care that much. Right. As soon as you get to 12 or higher is when people start to go, uh, I think we just got bamboozled. Yeah, you have to be careful. Um, with with all of this, you have to be careful about getting too far ahead and the table being upset at you. Yep. And then you this hurting your ability to, um, to negotiate. Right. Um, one thing that I would like to point out with this style, you can pre-negotiate. And with the factions that you did not... Um, do any transactions with you could try and tax them afterwards yeah so you're still going to make all the money you would make by Mm -hmm. doing pre-negotiation and if they're really desperate to trade on top of that you could make two extra bucks right they might agree to a tax um the thing is in that situation if if you did some favorable trades and you taxed you probably made so much money in that round that it might be and this is this is why this episode is hard to do and this is a hard race to cover but if you get too far ahead in that situation, the meta might start to turn against you. So you got to be careful about but that. But what I like about this one, though, is e- even with that, even if you make a lot of money, you did it all fairly. Right. You approached everyone. You said, I'm willing to make a deal. I want it to be a binding deal. Right. Okay, that makes sense. He just wants to, you know, have insurance there. And then to everyone else who decided not to get in on the deal or whatever... You're offering a tax. Most of the times, people just won't want to do it because if they can't trade with each other, then no big deal. But if they're like the person who's actively like, I don't want to trade her with a con, then you'd be like, okay, that's fine. You're still going to pay me one to replenish. Right. Um, now, they again, it's non-binding. They might screw you over, but they're going to look worse than you do. Right. Um, so I, I think this last, this pre-negotiation tactic has the benefit of looking the best. Mm-hmm. You, you, you make a lot of money and you don't get very hated for and, it and it all happened one at a time yes the thing that i've seen come against hakan players is when they try and talk to the entire yes. table at once yeah you can't get away with that right especially um, with me at the table if i'm at the table right. and hakan just starts like putting it out there i'm gonna put it out there that no one should do the deal but if you can single one person out and kind of pull them off to the side and be like we'll do this deal and this is exclusive to you then you actually get some action right on your proposals. Okay, let's flip it around then. It seems like we can make a lot of money if we have trade, and that's why we want to sure. get you're, trade you're a very, lot. You're very safe having trade. What, what if we don't get trade? Right. What if somebody else has trade? I'll say this much at the at the onset of this idea. You still need to be an active participant in trade. First off, your commodities are refreshed automatically. Right. So you are. You will be included in conversations whether you want to or not. When trade gets played, your commodities are on the table and are available to right. people. Right. So you have to think about what you're going to do when someone plays trade that isn't you. Well, first things first, I want to establish that everything that we just established that you can do, pre-negotiation, taxation, Obviously, they cannot do that to you. Right. Don't let them think they can because right. they cannot. And don't agree to that kind of thing. Obviously, it 
They cannot pre-negotiate you. Essentially, you're both sort of coming to the table equal as equals right they don't they don't they don't really have an advantage over you and you don't really have an advantage over them when you have trade you are the master of ceremonies right when they take trade they have entered into a sort of comp- competitive alliance with you yeah um and what are they most likely going to do we, we, we want to talk about two very specific situations uh the first one i think is really common which is that somebody else takes trade mm-hmm. and then they they try and not they don't want to replenish anybody's commodities because yours are replenished automatically mm-hmm. and then they just want to do what we're going to call an all for all right. with you. If right. I'm Jolnar, I have four commodities. I come to Hakan and I say, hey, the best deal you're going to get right now is my four for your six. Right. I'm I'm holding you to this. I'm holding you over a barrel a little bit. If it's an even worse faction, if it's a sorrow, I'm giving you three for six. They're trying to pigeonhole you into saying, this is your only option to get any money this round. Right. Uh, it's very it's it's an aggressive play. Yep. And I think what we're gonna say here is most of the time you should say no to this deal. Yeah. Um, the only reason that I'm gonna say that you should say yes to this deal is if you have a very real, serious victory point need for those trade goods this round. Right. If it's an an immediate need, uh, if if that if those you know three commodities you're getting from them are gonna turn into the fourth or third fourth and fifth trade good you need to complete the objective this round okay make the deal that's fine right but if it's if objectives aren't out there that matter to to resources or influence or trade goods you can put it off and you can probably make your money later right so how do we make our money later well um we essentially treat this round even though we do not have the trade strategy card we treat it the same way um without being able to pre-negotiate anything essentially you say to the players hey if you don't trade with the person that uh, took the trade strategy card, I will buy your trade agreement. So essentially, you kick the can down a little bit for them. Right. They get money right now. You get their trade agreement. And next time you take trade, you are going to make a lot of money right. and no one can you stop will, you You will make it, it up. You will basically make your money up from this lost round. Next time you get trade, you're gonna, you're, you'll get all the money you were supposed to get. Uh, you should basically offer the same deals. You have a little bit less wiggle room, so you're probably you mo- you're more required to be like, I'll give you four commodities for your freight, four commodity trade agreement. The other version was maybe you can do the two for four. Don't push no, it. Do not push, push it because you are trying to get them to give you something. First off, if you're making these deals with them, they're going to have to spend a command counter. Right. To replenish their own commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to do that, but you're competing with the current master of ceremonies. So they're going to try to offer them. The thing is, the best they can offer is their own four commodities. Right. Unless they have extra trade goods or whatever extenuating circumstances. So if you're dealing with some other race, you need to offer the same or one better than whoever has trade. Right. Um, what's good about this too is you're kind of going to go after probably... Those four commodity races, you probably don't want to go after when yeah. you have trade because it's hard to, to convince them to do that two for four, right. basically, which is what we're looking for. Um, but now, what's interesting is when somebody else has trade strategy card, you kind of just want to go after yeah. that one person. You get their trade agreement. Now, when you do what you always do with right. trade next time, you're going to get four extra, yeah. essentially. Yeah, because you're going to later, you're going to make your same deals, excluding the person whose trade agreement you already have. Right. There, this is, we, we've seen people try to talk about, like, they're trying, I think it's Unaligned Magi has been 
actively trying to get everyone's trade agreements. But in one round, they wanted to pop all five trade agreements. Right. I, I might have misspoken. I don't know if it was uh, online magi or not. But someone out there is like made it a project of theirs to get everyone's trade agreements. Hakan is the easiest one to do this with. Right. You can so easily buy people's trade agreements and in one round get two people's trade agreements. The next round... Get, the other get three. three more when you play trade and then immediately pop all five. Pop everything. And that's a lot of money in one round. Again, you just made all your money back that you didn't make when the other person took trade. Well, let's talk about another unfavorable situation. Um, one that I would say is probably less common, but could happen. It's more common late game, mid to late game. Sure. When things sure. have started to shake out and if you're starting to take a lead, this starts to happen a lot. Right. Um People will just try and cut you out straight up. Yep. They'll just be like, I want to replenish your commodities. They and your took commodities. trade right. because they didn't want you to take trade right. because they are trying to get you out of this because they are sick. This is something I do often right. <laughs> against Hakan. I don't like how much money Hakan makes. So I take trade and I actively say, I'm making deals with everyone but Hakan because right. I do not want them getting that much power. And I'm, I've, I'm vocal about it. When I take trade, I say, this is to block Hakan. This is to stop them from making as much. And right. like, hopefully we can all agree on this yada 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 so what does hakan do uh well we're going to talk about those two same situations again if you need the money this round you have to offer the more favorable trade you have to be willing to give five for four or even six mm -hmm. for four to get your money if that's what you got to do that's what you got to do um if you don't need the money effectively it's the same just try and buy agreements right. from people right um yeah you're, you're not getting in on any sort of commodity deals I'll, I'll say this much too if people really are like trying to hold you back I think that's even more so when you single one person out. Right. If you're getting cut out of the deal, because it's because one person is trying to make a power play. Someone at the table does not care right. about their power right. play. Right. And it is probably the winu. And right. you come to the winu and you say, hey, I can give you all six of my commodities. They want, they want to cut me out. I will make one person filthy rich right now. Right. Just give me your trade agreement or your whatever. Right. You know, whatever it costs. Make it, make it fair because you are definitely fighting against this one you can't come to this on on a level playing field you mm -hmm. are coming from this from behind so you need to treat it like you're coming from behind come come begging a little bit right and it's going to work out in the meta it's going to work in how people read you they're going to see the other person as the aggressor you're just trying to get your due this is your again this is your only ability is right. to make this money right. so if you're not making any money you have negative abilities practically it is always better to make money yep basically yeah and and the thing is what we're trying to establish in this current section that we're in is the idea that if you can't make all the money this round set yourself up to make more money yep. next round yep. because the other thing that that tends to happen in the meta against Hakan is towards the mid to late game people stop wanting to trade with you yep. you have the most flexibility early game most of the time oh, yeah. people are not too upset at you but so that's why i say that like okay well if you're trying if you're starting to get cut out if you can buy up those trade goods eat or these sorry if you can buy up those trade agreements then people might be willing to play ball with you and then later you will have their trade agreement and there's nothing they can do and you will make so much money right. so quickly right and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit longer term. We, we've been really singly focused on just what happens when trade happens right now mm -hmm. um how do we extend that to a little bit more of like the whole game? Are, are we are we trying to have re repeat offenders or are we constantly changing our target of our trades? What kind of relationships? Right. How right. do we treat the whole board? Well, yeah, I think that you can kind of either approach Hakan as like a, 
I'm going to do a lot of negotiation. I'm going to try and figure out, you know, how to make the most money every time I do transactions. Or you can kind of go a sort of loyalty yep. path. And Bo- both have their advantages. Right. Um, the, the first, the hunter described, the making the money, again, completely depends on your group. Right. Some groups will let this kind of behavior slide. And if you can get away with it, you should do that because you're going to make more money. Right. But you have some groups, ones that I'm typically involved in, look at Hakan and go, he's just going to always be up to no good. And in that situation, it is usually better to just be like, let's get a ride or die, buddy. Let's right. just like, or, or however many people it is, let's have loyalty on our side because loyalty will pay more than what you lose in trying to make deals all the time. Right. Um, and I, I have played games where I've done it both ways. Um, and yeah, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. But let's talk about the idea of having a partner at the table. Um, to Basically, the way a partnership is going to work is you're going to pick one player and you're going to be like, okay, the two of us are going to solely trade. And essentially, this deal is great for both of you because mm-hmm. the idea is that you're always going to get kind of your minimum um, which is, if you have the trade strategy card, obviously, that's nine, right. six, your commodities, plus three that you get for trade. And then, essentially, what you're going to ensure for them is that they always have their maximum commodities. Maybe they're going to tax you one. Maybe you're going to tax them one. It, it depends. Yeah, you can change the deal slightly, but you make the point of, it's you and me, buddy, every time. My right. offer is always on the table. If I take trade, I will always offer to you first. When you take trade... I will always be ready to make this same deal with you. Right. And essentially how this works is you trade your, you you do equal trades. You give all your commodities to them. You do an all for all. Yep. Sorry. Uh, essentially you do an all for all and then they give you back. And this is the part that is just on their word. They give you back the extra money that they made. Right. The reason that, that this would be in their interest to do it is... The alternative to this is Hakan trading with everyone and spreading the wealth around everywhere. Right. Essentially, the way you can pitch this to somebody is, listen, if you'll just be my buddy and essentially currency exchange for me, just yeah. turn my commodities into trade goods, yep. uh, then you will be able to get the same amount of money you would have gotten had I negotiated with the entire table, but now they get less. Right. And honestly, I've been on the like I've been on the other side of this and felt like I was actually kind of frustrating the rest of the table and the rest yeah. of the table was like wow we can't find a way into the con right deal. now yeah it, it is always very frustrating as a as a third party because there really isn't a better especially if you're like a four if you're extra with four commodities mm-hmm. who else is making a better deal right. i mean almost nobody like soul could try to get in there but like hakan can look at soul and be like you don't need the help right Jolnar, you don't like if you are a four commodity race ghosts extra yin mm-hmm. yin four not yin. No. I mean, Winu. Winu. If you're if you're any of those factions with four commodities and kind of deemed as like a little bit weaker of a faction, so easy to just like have Hakan be your buddy forever and right. no one else can interject. There's no right. one with a better argument. Um I've seen three commodity races do it too. I've seen Arborek sure. do it. Um I have seen Barony look Depends for it. on positioning and a lot right. of a lot of factors. Right. Who are our who absent of factions, who are the best people? to to try to make these offers to um well if we're having trouble finding a partner uh i think it's best to go and i have done this once the first time i kind of just like not discovered this because i'm not the first person to play like this but the first time it occurred to me to do this um i was getting shot out of trade 
and I, there was a leader. Someone had taken the lead. They were at five. They had taken Mechatol. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what if I just trade with them? And they gave me favorable trades, and I ensured that they always had some trade goods, and they ensured that I always had my yep. minimum. Um, and it worked because they needed a buddy. The whole table right. was turning against them, right. and they were just like, you know what? I, I'm I'm not going to play along with the rest of the table. Yeah, Hakan, I, I, will, I will come... I, I will come what, to the call. What sucks about this version is that it makes the table not like you, but they still hate the other guy more. Right. And they the other still, guy is the one who's maybe about to win. So right. you know, regardless of how much hate they have for you, yeah. it's like, well, uh, we got to focus on that. I will say this much. I think Hakan is one of the best factions at winning after someone else just didn't win. For sure. For sure. You, you set up a target... You funnel money into them. They do very well. The whole table spends all of their best action cards and all their best mm-hmm. things on stopping them. And then you happen to have also been able to score a 10th right. victory point this round. H- Hakan is is so good at pulling that maneuver off. Right. Um, who else might we want to target, though? Um, anyone weak. Anyone who's fallen behind. A two-commodity race that isn't doing well. Sardak Nor. Yeah. Right? Maybe Sardak Nor in exchange for two, maybe maybe... Sardagnor is a little like gives you the their promissory note or something like that right so that it can be that they get three sure. whatever um they just ensure that like all right well i'm always gonna have these trade goods and i need them yeah Sardagnor would love to have an insured two trade good Absolutely. deal happening and, and even outside of factions just like if someone took a big hit one round there they are there's your new buddy right there's it like anyone who's two points behind the pack mm-hmm they, they might be an option. Sometimes people kind of roll over and die in that situation. Maybe you find the person in the pack, but still at the bottom. Right. You know, tied for second to last. Right. You just make one of them your buddies. Whoever it looks like doesn't have the clearest approach because what you can do is make money off of the people who probably don't actually have much of a shot. Mm-hmm. And what that has guaranteed you is you have a buddy that probably won't do as much to hurt you when you spring for the victory. Right. Um. Kind of the weaknesses of this approach, though, is that technically we are recommending this is a non-binding kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're just giving you trade goods back on good faith. Right. Um, having a, maybe a support for the throne maybe helps ensure this a little bit better. And it, and it instills the fact that you are trying to make this a real relationship. You are trying right. to be loyal to these people. That's the whole reason you're doing this. Right. Is to get away from the non-loyalty that people think Hakan has. You, if you... This is like one of the situations where I'm like, maybe both of you do a support for the throne for support for the throne. Right. Because let's just establish in as many terms as we can, the two of us are trade partners. Right. Forever. Yeah. Or you could even do the same thing with ceasefires, just yep. as a little like, you know, hey, it's, it's you know, ceasefires are not permanent, but it, everyone knows like it's, it's as long as you have two weak spots, yep. a ceasefire isn't really going to work that much, right. but it's still something and it helps as a deterrent. I, I'll say this. I've actually, this is something that's kind of hard to propose yourself as the Hakan. Yep. Um, I have been courted yes. by people in games before where they've been like, I like basically what happened is they were like, I will give you my support for the throne if you will only trade with me yep. and I will make sure that you get your yeah. kind of minimum. I agree with that. It is hard to propose. If, if Hakan came to me looking to make that deal, I might be a little 
precarious. I, I, mean, I, I don't I don't know that I would love that. Yeah, I don't know that I would love it either. I would definitely, if I wasn't playing Hakan, now we're getting real weird. Uh, if I wasn't playing Hakan, I would probably try and get this deal. Right. But I would not want to give them my support for the throne for sure, it. I never sure. liked it. It's, it's a weird, it, to do a partnership is just a weird concept in general, kind of because it goes back to some of our old like debates about just like, what are you supposed to do? Is it good to only benefit one other person and build you both up Maybe yes, but it is. It's kind of a. It's a sketchy de- debate. What is the? What's the next kind of option? The next one we've sort of like touched on when we were talking about um, ne- pre-negotiation and stuff like that. Generally, you're going to do that with a trio. Yep. And I just want to bring it up again to to say that if you can make it a trio that it does not include your neighbors, yep. that is probably the best deal. Right. If you've got a two commodity race, two commodity race, three commodity race across from you and you are only negotiating with them and they are just kind of this right. like, I fund the three of you and that's yep. it, that is such a good setup. Right. If you can, let's say it's a six player board, if you have yourself and then one step away from you, so your neighbor of your neighbor is a three commodity, and then the neighbor of your other neighbor is also a three commodity, and the three of you enter into this kind of trade alliance, you can always get your fair amount, and not only have you protected yourself against your neighbor by boosting up their neighbor, right? they're getting the same deal out of it as well. You've made this kind of trade triangle across the entire table, and it gives you all the opportunity to kind of rise above your station and and hopefully uh, get more out of it. Let's talk about, um, I think I've got two, maybe three factions I want to call out as um, not good trade partners really under most circumstances. So like if if a Jolnar per se offered me this deal of like, I'll give you my support for the throne and then me and you just trade... Um, a Jolnar player with Erez siphons, yep. if you're even giving them their baseline four, um, they they can make rich. a lot of weird yeah. money that way. Yeah, you need to get a lot out of Jolnar to right. be, be to be their trade partner. The two of you need to come up with a lot more conditional things. You need to get that research agreement a lot. It, it actually is not as simple as just like four for four, right, buddy? Everyone knows Jolnar is going to get more than that, so you need to probably. Keep it out of Jolnar's hands. I right. would also throw Soul out there, even though yes. we had a game recently where Soul and Hakan teamed up, but they also eliminated another player. That's the second elimination in one week that I had, uh, and the two of them took over one other player's price slice, and they had a pretty interesting relationship the whole game. But I think, generally speaking, Hakan should not be funding Soul. Right. Because soul has enough advantages. They have, yeah, they have enough advantages. It, it's you're not you're not looking to help the leaders so much. I mean, we 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 recommend you help the person in the lead. I guess my point is, soul is the one that is like too dangerous. Like, the, yeah, I think people when, won't do enough. You need a leader that can be stopped. When when I say leader, I think I mean like in the rankings. Like, we're, we're not looking to help the other like superpower races that right. seem to yeah, be yeah, like yeah. ahead in general. Yeah. Um. I think Sar early game doesn't need your help nope. at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. You you don't need to be funneling money to Sar when they have all of those trade goods they get early. You yeah. don't you don't want to see that happen. You don't want to see it come out round one and you didn't even make as much money as Sar. Right. Basically. Right. We've kind of we've talked at length now about like the types of trade relationships you can have. We've talked about like how to negotiate, how to behave during trade. Let's talk about what to do 
if the deals didn't work out and now you have six commodities sitting on your sheet, what can you do with those? Right. And there's even some situations I would say where you might actually want to just have those commodities and right. use them to buy certain things. What are the things you can buy? Obviously, promissory notes. Yep. What are some six, of the ones? Six commodities, nothing for you if effectively. Giving someone six trade goods, that is easily worth a support for the yes, throne. Yes, yes. Hakan is the only faction that can just like, I'll just give you all my commodities for a support for the throne. You might even, You'll find people that will take you up on oh, that. Oh, for sure. And I think that it might even be worth a shot uh, first round most games to yeah. say... Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'll you get, don't need a round one economic advantage and could just get a point. And like, if you do it with a neighbor, guarantee they're not going to like... Right. You know. I, I would say that it's worth shopping around for one. The other thing you might want to shop for... Um, and this, I would not pay too much for it, is uh, political secrets. Uh, the only reason I say yeah. that is because the only thing that can really hurt you as far as trade goods go, uh, outside of the meta of the players, is there is an agenda that is very scary for you. Yeah. Um, and the agenda, basically, I forget what it's called, but the for or against is the for is everybody gets five trade goods and then everybody just has five yep. and the against is everybody loses all their it's trade goods. economic equality economic equality um and, and i'll say this much too uh to kind of interject their political secret because it almost never sees play in a lot of groups right political secret is the one where when someone would go to vote you can say that they don't get you can you can prevent people from voting in the uh, agenda phase and the advantage of this is a lot of times people are kind of willing to give up political secrets i've seen games where someone cut four people out of the vote right because they just bought it for a couple trade goods or whatever little bits here and there and then when the important vote like economic equality or like shard for the throne shard of the throne huge votes like that you can just win those because right. you bought everyone's political secrets so make that kind of like a long-term project don't buy all of them in one round because by the end, you won't get anyone to buy it. But if you buy like one political secret every mm -hmm. round or so, mm -hmm. people will forget that you have other people's political secrets and you can slowly just suddenly have this insurance policy on I'm going to get at least one agenda that I want. Right. And and then also like the buying racial notes. Like we don't want to necessarily go through all the different sure. racial notes you could buy right now. There's lots of lots of good ones. I mean, the Mentac Promise of Protection one would be Is pretty good, deal, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing that you can use your commodities for is just to deter attacks or to encourage other people to attack each other. Yes. Um, that we could probably do a whole episode on the, the fact that you could again, try and convince people to do. Yeah. Again, the fact that you don't have to be neighbors means you can get in on anything at any moment. Right. Transactions can be done at any time. When one player is deciding what they want to do, you can just jump in and be like, I'll give you four commodities to attack the Yin Brotherhood. And you might get something out of it. I'm not saying I approve of that because usually your money is best used on yourself, but it goes the other way as well. As soon as someone's like, I'm about to attack a con, four trade goods not to do it. Right. Three trade goods not to do it. Right. Usually they're keen to, to go for it. They'll, they'll find a way to do their plan elsewhere. And obviously you can use trade goods, like just the trade goods you have banked normal style to buy all of these things too. We're more just saying that like, if for some reason you get in a situation where you just have six commodities sitting there, that's not so bad. And right. here are some things you should be Don't thinking think about. Don't think you're ruined because you, you need to still be planning on how you're going to game the system is the thing. Some mm -hmm. people just go, well, I didn't get it. I guess I'm not getting any money this round. It's like, nope, you're going to get something. Don't forget you can get something for those commodities. Uh, one other thing, we talked about political secret, but sometimes it's okay to hold on to trade goods during the actual agenda phase. I think right. we forget entirely that just like everyone can do transactions with anyone right. during right. the agenda phase. Um, even outside of like 
revolved around a vote, but like you can buy votes. And more importantly, you can just get things done with people during the agenda phase if, if you need to. If people are outside of the kind of drama of the action phase, people are sometimes maybe more willing to make deals because it's not the immediate benefit isn't right. known. So you can get work done during the agenda phase. But more importantly, even if you don't have political secrets, you can buy votes. Uh, and if the agenda comes up where it matters, it's not a bad thing to have uh, those that that money sitting there. What's what's the other really important thing? Well, so we want to we're going to talk at length at the end of this episode about trading action cards. But I want to just kind of mention before we get deep into that that you should be looking to buy action cards as well. Action cards yeah. are useful for everybody. Right. Um, the idea of me being like, oh, I got shut out of trade this round. Hmm. Maybe I could take these six commodities and get a sabotage is really juicy. Right. Like, I want to have a sabotage every game. Everybody wants to have a sabotage yep. every game. It's the best insurance ever. You, you can do really weird things, too. I'm not going to get too specific here, but I will point out, like, you can have a really weird relationship with a Sorrel. Right. Sorrel's got a lot of junk action cards. Sometimes they want to keep them for stalling. Sometimes they're just really willing to sell kind of anything. Right. Also, that's a two-way street. You can sell action cards to a Sorrel, because to them, at the very least, it's a skip. Right. You can get, you can buy up people's worst action cards. You know, buy up that wor- the 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 wormhole. If if ghosts of Creus get the wormhole action card, right. they can sell it to you for almost nothing. You can sell it to Isarl and maybe make a profit because to right. them it is worth more as a skip than anything else. God, it's like stuff like that. There, it's like, man, this Hakan is. Awesome. We could have done a three or four part. Right. Come yeah. on. The the fact that you can broker any kind of deal. I mean, we're not going to get into brokering trade deals between two players because that gets complicated. But action cards is a very simple way to, to do that. Well, I think the only the only broker deal that has any potential really is action cards. Brokering yeah. like trade stuff never very really weird. makes sense. But let's go ahead and just get deep into action cards then. Yeah. Um, I want a little bit of a teaser for the next episode. I am more than likely going to recommend that your round one tech pick be neural motivator that that be the tech that you research and for obvious reasons you can trade action cards neural motivator is best bought on the first round so that you maximize the potential of it it is neural motivator is worth more to you than any other faction in the game it's worth more to you than it is to isarl isarl starts with it but isarl could not start with neural and getting it would be more important to you than it would be getting it for isarl right you because your action cards can either be good action cards that are useful for you or can be money or promissory notes or whatever you want them right, to be. Right. They are a resource. It's just a better, it is a better tech for you. Right. Across um, the board. And people love, like, and we're going to talk more about sabotage right now immediately. So, like, the idea of buying a sabotage, cool, that's good. Now you have a sabotage. Um, honestly, my like, this would not be crazy to me to buy a sabotage with the intent of selling it for support for the throne. Yep. The thing is, a lot of times people feel a need, depending on how their game's going, what situation they're about to get into. Maybe they're about to play flank speed, and they need it to work. Right. You sell them a sabotage. They might be willing to give you a point. A point. Yep. Which I'll remind everybody, that's the whole game. (laughs) If you get points, then you win, right? Right. You guys remember that? (laughs) Yeah, I I think a sabotage can easily be worth a point. And and I want to point out that you should not sell a sabotage for much less than a point a sabotage is worth a lot and at some point someone will see the value of that um you you should not be looking to just 
sell a sabotage to however. It is worth more than six commodities. It is worth for sure some juicy stuff and you should hold on to them. I mean, in the same way that everyone should hold on to sabotages because you need it for that last ditch effort thing or like, oh my gosh, the worst thing ever just targeted me. You always should hold on to sabotages. That's how much Hakan needs to get for their sabotage they right, sell. Right. I think I even wouldn't love selling my only sabotage, but if I can get two, one of those babies is definitely on the market. I mean, I would sell my only sabotage for a support for the throne. Yeah. I know that I would. And I I think it, I would just be like, all right, I'm just going to play safe and right. defensive. The thing is, Hakan is a passive race. So like the only reason you're going to need a sabotage is that somebody's trying to take advantage of you. You're probably not... A lot of Hakan games I don't feel like are going to end in a like crazy action card play that got you there. They're going to end because you were able to buy all the VPs yep. that you needed to buy. Right. That's the more frequent. I'm not saying that those stories aren't out there. They are. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> but... I think in general, too, there's a philosophy of, like, advertising the action cards that you have. You need to tell players, like, hey, I yep. have a sabotage. Even if that's not true, whatever, throw it out right. there. <laughs> like, just tell everyone what you have so that they know because maybe nobody wants it right now, but maybe they will. Right. And then you'll get, you know, and then, you, and then you'll get to negotiate then at that point, obviously. Yeah. You should always. Well, you need your you need your cards to be kind of out in the open a little right. bit. Right. You need not... to tell people what you have. Yeah. Uh, what are, what are some other action cards that are of note? We're not going to go through every. We just did all the agendas last week. We're not right. doing that. But what are like some of the most important action cards to keep an eye out for, and who are our highest bidders? Yeah, I think if you get Rise of the Messiah in your hand, uh, you should really try and sell that to one of the more yeah. infantry. It races. can be useful for you. This is the the problem with so many action cards, and why right. when I play Hakan, I actually have a lot of trouble selling action cards because I'm the type of player who really hates giving away power it's the same reason i'm kind of a hoarder in my own life i just right. don't like giving something away where it's like that could have been useful later Ooh. but so to to give away rise of the messiah is sort of a scary proposition especially since you have three planets in your home system i mean it's at least worth three ground forces on the thing that is hard to protect for you but again similar to sabotage what you can make out of it how much you could potentially get from a rise of the messiah if you were to sell it to soul or right. the Yin Brotherhood, right. Right. Uh, you can get a lot for the for this action. Not to get dirty, but Rise of the Messiah is frequently sabotaged as well. Mm -hmm. So you might not even get to pull off that Rise of the Messiah, and neither will the other person, meaning right. that they might give you something and not even get to use it. Right. And if that happens, well, so too bad. Oh, sorry, um, But I would say that Rise of the Messiah is a very high price. Yep. I mean, I want to I want to support for the three right. four. I want something good. I want, I want real real good stuff. Right. Um, and honestly, the races that won it, Soul, Yin, um, Arborek, yep. uh, who else? Necro probably wouldn't mind it. Yep. Most of them don't have promissory notes that I feel like would be super juicy to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's you're looking for support. Um, another interesting one that Matt pointed out, uh, and actually I can think of two races now that would want this, is Reactor Meltdown. Yep. Um, it's not so much that there's only one Reactor Meltdown in the deck. Right. And... You're probably going to want to sell it to a SAR player or a Winu player. Yeah. Um, because they have the most threat of getting their, like, 99 times out of 100, SAR is the one losing their space dock right. to Reactor Meltdown. Right. Now, the, the deal you're going to make here with SAR is a little bit different than the Rise of the Messiah deal. Because right. the deal you're going to make with SAR is, hey, buddy, you can either buy this action card 
at a high price, and it will block it from being used against you. Right. If you have, if you're sorry and you have reactor meltdown, you're gonna get to use it against somebody else, and it won't and be it used, won't against, be used you. against you. If you don't take that deal, I'm gonna. Use I'm it. using it against you right. right now. Right. Right this second. Right. I'm. I am blackmailing you. Right. But you're getting a lot out of it. Same goes for Winu. If they established that space dock on Mechatol Rex, and they really, really need right. it. Right. You get in when the timing is right, and you say, "I can either ruin your day." Or you can make me a little bit wealthier. Now, I'll say this. Uh, with deals like this, and I'm sure people are going to find a lot more situations like this. Yeah. And I'm sure in your games you'll find a lot more situations like this. If you're going to extort somebody, you should do it at a time where they can help you. Yeah. So let's say you've taken the trade strategy card. You have... like This is actually a really fun, juicy thing to do that I'm thinking about. So um, you get your three. You replenish your commodities. You make your deals with all the players mm -hmm. you get all of their uh, all the trade agreements that you're going to deal with maybe you did a two for two a two for two and a two for three yeah. so you already made one extra then you go to sar <laughs> and you say here's the reactor meltdown give me your trade agreement as well yeah. for free and i'll and give you, you that and you can have that yeah and that's yeah. how you pull a power play as hakan right now Obviously, you can get punished for power plays. Right, but people people may dislike you, and and it is worth noting. Yeah, like Hunter said, like pick your timing. I have seen people. Hakan has the best room to blackmail people right. out of most any other faction, and I've seen people, and I've probably done it myself too, try to blackmail someone when it's like the response is, "What do you want from me? What am I supposed to do? Like, right. what I can I anything. possibly right. give you? Right, I like that's when you get the no, I don't negotiate with terrorists. But when it's kind of like Oh, I guess I could give this up. Right. Um, Hunter did it. Hunter as Extra blackmailed me, saying, "I'll activate your system as Extra and blow up all your stuff for free, or you can give me three trade goods." And I had to give him the three trade goods because I had the trade goods. If he had done it when I had no trade goods, and he was just like, "What are you gonna do to not have me blow your stuff up?" My response would have been, "I'm gonna do nothing because I have nothing." Right. Do, you know, do your worst, you right. jerk. Now all you did was just give away. Yeah. At, and. Like a, you made an enemy out of right, nothing. Right, you just made an enemy out of nothing and you didn't get anything out of it. Yeah. So yeah, anytime you're going to extort someone, like look over their sheet, dingus. Yeah. <laughs> See if they can actually pay for that. <laughs> um, another like kind of minor one we want to bring up is like if you get planet related, there's a lot of um, action cards. cultural planets. Right, or... there's a lot of action cards that are associated with specific planets. Obviously you want to look at other people's pie slice and make sure that this is actually useful for them. Um, another... Uh, interesting situation is a lot of times people mismanage their command counters and yep. they need a stall. This is really interesting because um, I feel like you can get a lot of money for a bad card, yes. basically. Yeah. You, if you have an action card that is to play as an action, it can be something that doesn't benefit them at all, but because it gives them an opportunity to play that card as an action and delay one round, depending on what they're trying to accomplish... You might get a lot out of them getting basically nothing. Right. And I mean, always remember, like, it, if they don't have any commodities, go for that trade agreement. Yes. Like, get, get that trade yeah. agreement so that next time you can just negotiate with the rest of the players and potentially get everybody's trade yeah. agreement. I think, I think trade agreement is your go-to get in any game as a right. con. And everything else is kind of secondary to that. If you already have their trade agreement or if they're right. the type of person who really doesn't like giving out their trade agreements, then you can make other deals. Or if they're desperate. That's the other yeah. thing, too, is when you're trying to make these trades, like if they're in a very desperate place, they might agree to something they wouldn't normally, sure. like a support for the throne. Sure. All right. I think that's all we have to say about this just like meta conversation yeah. about Hakan. Uh, next week, we should have the real 
guide and it will have the actual structure of a normal first right, round guide right. we will talk about strategy cards we will talk about tech path we'll talk about counters and and you know interesting relationship with different factions uh this was to just talk about this one aspect and even that took us like an hour right so this is why we did this this right. is a huge conversation this right. is a huge race uh our when we did the initial introductory things about everything trade was our biggest uh episode was right our longest episode of this. Right. for a long time right. trade was the longest episode we had ever done and Hakan, the conversation about Hakan was a huge part of that. Right. Uh, and it, it still remains true. They are the hardest faction to, t- to talk about. Right. To, to nail down it all. Um, I want to throw out some uh, real quick special thanks to one particular fan of the show and also like Discord user. Yep. Um, I just want to say that David S. Knorr, uh in a lot of ways had uh, a lot of influence on specifically this episode yeah. and really just like a lot of thoughts with Hakan in general. He's got an interesting metagame and that metagame specifically syncs up with what Hakan is doing. I've played lots of games with David and his metagame doesn't always work very well. Right. But it works best when there's a Hakan. It just yes. seems like he knows what the relationship is supposed to be with Hakan. And yeah, when we finished that game uh, where Unaligned Magi got eliminated, Hunter and I and David continued to sit down and talk for like 45 more minutes just about Hakan and, and it helped us kind of get some of our ideas out there. Right. So yeah, thanks, David. But yeah, I, yeah, I would be remiss not to thank David, and I feel like a lot of... Um, so, some, of the, some of the ideas in this episode were kind of born from the way that he conducts... He, I've never even seen him play Hakan. It was just like the way that he would conduct things. I was like, this is very like strategically beneficial for Hakan. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, all that there. Um, we didn't get as many cat jokes in. I know. As I thought we didn't really get much jokes at all. It was like a very serious episode. Um, hopefully, we got a lot of the like work out of the way so that next, yes. like next time again, we speak, be very vocal in response yeah. to this because it will actually help us shape next week's episode much better if you give us a lot of responses to how you feel about the Hakan's metagame. Do you agree with a lot of the things we were saying? Does does it seem like these things would work in your group? Are there if, other ways to think about it yes. as well? Do you have something to add to this episode? Because essentially, trying to go into this with there being no like level, just like, this is how the Hakan play. Yeah. Like, yeah. going into it like that like is very difficult because... Like, I mean, we hear about players all the right. time that make crazy deals with a con and, like, they let them yeah. completely snowball out of nowhere. Right. And honestly, if that's the meta, then I don't know, like, I, I don't know how to make a strategy guide for that. Yeah. I could, but essentially, right now, what we're assuming is going into the guide next week, we're going to assume that you're taking trade and getting about 9 to 10 right. to 11 trade goods each time. Yeah. Um, Unless spe- you guys tell us that we're wrong, and yeah. please do. <laughs> Speaking of uh, next week, we're about to jump into the Ghosts of Creus errata. Um, because we're structuring this the way we are, you can pretty much expect no errata next week because all of the errata for this episode is basically going to be incorporated into the guide. Right. That's what this episode exists for. We might even for. lead with errata. Right, it, like- might, it might be errata first into the episode. So um, just... Kind of a programming note there, but let's let's Hunter. You want to dance on over to the Ghosts Creus? Uh, yeah, no. Me? Can we can we make muffins on your? You know, like that thing that cats do where they, they go like, the, yeah, yeah. We can do. do we're that. gonna make muffins. Is that what it's called? I've never heard it. I've heard that. it being called that. All right, let's go make some muffins.
All right, what's up, you cats? Hey, you what you muffins? You... Oh yeah, did you make your muffins? Did you make? Did you make? Like, somebody has heard of making muffins, and will you please nope. message Matt nope. uh, and tell them what that is? It's just like when the cat touches. I know the thing you're, you're describing, but no one has ever called like it making the, a muffin. You're underneath the covers, and the cat like they're kneading. Does, it's called they, kneading. Yeah, they're like kneading, kneading dough. dough. They're like kneading it. dough. They're but making I don't muffins. I think that's how you make muffins. I don't know how you make muffins, but I know that's what cats are doing. Anyways, it's errata time. We're doing errata for Ghost the Ghost of Creus episode. We skipped it last week. Yep. We kicked it down the road, and here we are at that time. No errata End for agendas. Road. No errata for agendas. Not doing it. Yeah, not doing it. What could we? That was wrong? an open discussion just about all of them. Yeah, I'll say this much: everyone liked that episode. I'm really they pleased. Did. I'm pleased this punch that people liked. I'm that just episode. hearing that they That's liked the it errata. Like... People liked the agenda <laughs> episode. Here's the reason I'm excited by that, and I'll, I'll I'll be open about this. It's just good to know that you and I can do things besides guides, and people like and it. people will like it. Just so for you, dear listener. This show has a future. Hooray! Yay! Yay. He'll we'll, let us keep we'll doing it. We'll just read everything in the game. <laughs> um, first up from Board Game Geek Guild is Nyguten. Nyguten. You're from a different country. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Um, here is your errata, though. Oh, man, I'm slightly miffed about how downplayed the flagship is. Two PDS on the home system and your red racial tech, and it's almost as good as the extra flagship. Extra get... Three on a six. Can we take that again? But you int- like make sure that people know that we're talking about the Creus flagship because we kind of we were like, oh, this is Creus Serata, and then I felt like that first line got lost. Somebody, somebody got lost there. Fine. This one, Hunter's the one who makes the calls. <laughs> That's the thing is, actually, I'm the one who says things like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no good. Take it again. <laughs> this one's from Nyguten. Also, you made fun of him for being foreign. I didn't make fun of him. I said I can't pronounce his name because they're foreign. Because we have stupid American mouths. So you, you should have lowered aware. yourself. Well, I meant to lower myself. I just didn't come out of my stupid well, American Well, you're not mouth. low enough. I'm not low enough. We're talking about the Ghost Acreus flagship. Oh, man, I'm slightly miffed about how to play the flagship. That, it says it right at the top of it. <laughs> Why do I have to? I'm not taking it again. Is this all in there? Extra gets three on a six. Uh, PDS shots. Phil Collins gets one racial tech automatic hit and two PDS shots. In combat, Extra gets two on a seven shots compared to the Phil Collins one on a five. Movement-wise, the Phil Collins starts out by having plus two movement, which could be comparable to the deep space targeting from the Extra on its own. But then you get to instant transport from your home system to wherever your fleet is with the Phil Collins, but somehow the Extra flagship is a must and deciding factor of the race. But the Phil Collins is just good. To be fair, getting racial tech and deep space cannons requires a fair amount of effort, so I guess it isn't that amazing. You did it all for me. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'll add something. All right. <laughs> um, the thing is, the difference is that what you're describing requires a real commitment of ships that might be destroyed. And a commitment of the flagship itself. Right. Uh, the extra gets to shoot at other people just all it costs is the counter. That's it. Yes, they don't have to send the flagship in to do the dirty work. Your your deep space cannons is not is helping you. It's just a different type. Right. It's a whole different type of attack, really, because this requires you got to commit ships, fight ships v ships, yep. and the extra just gets to shoot at you. Right, and this also requires you to put one or two PDS in your home system, which requires you to take construction a couple times, right. which means you're not taking strategy cards that gets you points. This also requires you to get... Deep Space Cannon on top of all the other tech we wanted you to get. It's on the list. You you didn't mention it, but you you didn't get Graviton. So how useful are those PDS shots? 
Right. If you got so, a fighter screen, then whatever. So as a late game play, sure, this is cool, but it is not getting you any points. It's maybe it's maybe helping in your last play of the game, but you pointed it out. It's so expensive to like center a strategy around that, but it's it, it of course you can do that and you'll find opportunities to do it, but in no way in the guide was I gonna in the guide was I going to spell out like this is what you need to have in your home system by round six because that's just way too specific to maybe not do anything for you. That's not, that wasn't the point of the ghost guide, but I don't want to say your point is all bad. I want to tie it to Bitwolf from Reddit's point uh, because I think they kind of work in conjunction with each other and that you both make each other more correct. So here's Bitwolf's point. Creus's superpower is that they are very good at completing their secret objectives without revealing what it is. You guys said it at the end of the guide. Meander your way to six victory points and then score your secret and a public next turn. This is why I think you should go for lightwave deflectors. The problem Creus often runs into in my experience is that their mobility can be really hard to make use of in the late game. Lightwave deflectors solves this problem. I also feel that the flagship is often central to the strategy because of how well it synergizes with the rest of your advantages. With gravity drive and slipstream, your flagship has a movement of three and can pull in an entire fleet from your home system with it. This lets you completely conceal what you intend to do with your ships. Oh, and did I mention it only costs eight resources and that it protects Planisk extremely well because it can always blow up a carrier for free with Dimensional Splicer? Creus is only an aggressive race for one turn, the turn where you win the game. Um, I, dope tagline. Dope tagline. <laughs> I, I prefer this sort of mentality when thinking about what to do with the flagship over the crazy PDS shenanigans. If you can do PDS stuff, that is as an extra. That is not my goal as the Ghost of Creus. That's where I think a lot of ghost strategies get hung up on is like trying to make this PDS network earn you stuff. PDS are defensive for everyone except for like Excha. And a couple other, like, you you just, it's very hard to truly use PDS as a big-time offense. You will maybe get lucky to use them. Um, so, thinking of ways to use lightwave deflectors, which also I was hesitant to recommend, but this is a good point, which is just to say, the flagship can move its two or three movement past something, then pull everything from your home system that you've probably been stocking up through with it, uh, and then maybe get all those extra benefits as well. All the things add up together very nicely, but the only thing in here that actually feels like a strong strategy and a thing I'm building up for is that thing of I'm going to win on one turn. I'm going to do well. I need to play solidly for the rest of the game, which is why I still think the ground forces may be advanced fighters, but like established control of things is the best play, and if that gets you to a good middle point, you have this ready to go to to pull the final trigger, right? Right. It's it's lightwave deflector is a decent ability to be able to get any objective on the board. Gives you access to everywhere. I feel a little bit iffy though about the idea, and I've seen Creus players do this of Creus players that leave like most of their fleet in their home system. Like it's cool yeah. that you can do that like deployment sure. with the flagship, but like now. 
who what's protecting your pie yep. slice and like and Where's i realized fleet? <laughs> i realized the counter to that is like oh well you don't need your your fleet out there because your flagship can just go to wherever you got attacked and unload everything and that's enough to turn well it isn't though because you now gotta have a established pie slice the the problem is this what if what, what if i just try just steal a planet out from underneath you yep. it's like yeah maybe i'll lose the space battle but what if you can't get the planet back from me wouldn't it just be better to have the ships in the space above the planet protecting it right right yeah i don't i don't like anything that um promotes you to be even more stretched thin right or like kind of excluding spaces on your board that's why i wanted wormholes all over my pie slice because that's the best way to defend my pie slice and keep everything there ready to go when it needs to inevitably go sneak attacks are cool but if you have to be like really open and vulnerable in order to to pull off a sneak attack is it really worth right. it no usually not well that it, it's i think that's right. the question you right. know there's no answer right. it just depends on your game um the next one feeds off of this same idea as well about secret objectives and it's Evernoob says the one thing that was missing from this episode is that Krius needs to draw their secret objectives and filter out the ones that they can't complete. I would even advise not scoring them too soon and maybe score two or all three when you are at six victory points for a surprise win. I, I kind of pretty much wholly agree with this. You need to be doing the secondary of Imperial quite a lot. Um, because you need to cycle to get all of the best possible secret objectives. Ones that are all within your reach um, and set you up for a really good last round. I get a little scared, though, about when people talk about this kind of thing of, like, holding secret objectives sure. and, like, scoring like scoring them in a way. I do way. It, Like, I mean, uh, if I, I have scared. A, if I have a tech secret objective... Oh, yeah, why? I'll hold it. Yeah, yeah. That's That's what I think they're talking about is just, like... Hold them until the moment you need to pull all the triggers at once and do it all. Because if you take a lead and don't finish the job, you're easy to get crushed. Just be careful, though, that you don't mess up. That's right. all I'm saying. I it's mean, like, yeah, you're, you're putting you're putting some eggs in baskets for sure. But yeah, I, what if but you end up... Of like, I just feel like if you play this way and then, like, if you don't manage it correctly, you might end up in the final round of the game having two secret objectives that are scored in the status phase... That you can score, but you can't do it. Right. That's a that's a sad predicament to be right. in. Get get. I mean, then we're, then we're just talking about like have good objective management. Yeah. Generally speaking, can I do the next one? Yeah. This one's from Fugly Ugly Clone Matt the Fat. You clone, you ugly. You guys miss the most important thing about wormhole generator. It allows you to put an A or B wormhole in your home system. Mathfat also went on to talk about how this synergizes with the promissory note, it being like you put a wormhole. Get them all over. And the, point the, yeah. here, the point here is... This is another one with the, like, you need to have everything sitting in the home system. Right, I, that, and, and we've kind of established I don't love the idea of just, like, having everything in your home system. Also, what they're talking about is with a promissory note, you would never be able to get an alpha wormhole in your home system because right. your ships can't be in the way. But if you take wormhole generator, you totally can. I have seen this as a possibility on my own boards before as ghosts. I have never been able to convince myself to do it because to give access to everyone on the board to my home system just directly, no need for, for light wave deflector. I mean, think about those two empty wormholes out there on the board. If, you're, if I put the alpha in my home system, there are two alpha wormholes on the board. Right. I better have locked down control of those or else 
I just opened up my home. I just put my home system on the middle of the board. Yeah. That's what I don't like. About That's rough. This. That's I, really I, rough. And again, all it's earning me is the chance to take a fleet of nine big ships from my home system and put them wherever I want. All of a sudden, I don't think the benefits outweigh the costs. That's it. That's all the errata that's for it. the Ghost of Creus. You guys posted more, but they all kind of boil down to, to those points. I mean, that's the big thing about Ghost of Creus is just it always comes down to like, how do you actually score? Yeah. They have difficulty with that. They have difficulty of just like, how do you actually get the points, though? Here's a random thing, actually, I want to say in response to the Matt the Fat thing, even though we sort of have already moved on from it. Um, one thing that I still feel like I really stand by in our episode would, is the idea that if you can get the promissory note out there, wormhole generator becomes kind of a dead tech. Yep. And like, I would really like to emphasize that I think in general, it's probably not a good idea. It's probably best to try and avoid having to get wormhole generator. Yes. If, if you, you can avoid it, because right. it is kind of a dead tech. After wormhole the generator wormhole is the backup plan. Right. If, if everyone is just like, nope, screw you and your Creus. Because IFF. if you don't get wormhole generator, then what are you going to get? Lightwave. Yeah. More I would, obviously useful. Or right. sorry, not Lightwave, fleet logistics and then Lightwave. Right. But whatever. Um, so let's let's do some rundown. Uh, let's get a play of the week in there. Let's let's wrap this thing up. Hit us up on Twitter, Space Cats Pod. Uh, we do announcements there. Facebook is also where we do announcements. Space Cats Peace Turtles. Uh, every week we post on Reddit, Twilight Imperium. Reddit slash R slash Twilight Imperium. Uh, that's where these posts are. You can join the discussions. Uh, when you join in the discussions there, that's how we pull our errata we mm-hmm. take it from there uh we don't tend to take errata from email or facebook or discord or anything like that usually we go straight to reddit as well as our board game geek guild uh that also has our calendar there that is constantly getting changed because we're always wrong about what episodes we're doing next uh you can email us submissions for this imperium life and plays of the week at spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com uh, please consider contributing to our Patreon, Space Cats Peace Turtles. Uh, it helps make our podcast better. It helps us go to Gen Con. Uh, things are getting more and more real every day with Gen Con. We're we starting are to actually have, doing it. We're starting to have meetings with the people that are going with us. It's getting getting really scary and cool and exciting. And the possibilities are starting to show themselves of what we're going to be able to do. And I can't wait. So if you want to help us with that, please consider contributing to our Patreon. You're going to see our faces so much. Yeah, you're going to just you're keep gonna looking see. at us. Mm. Uh, we also have a Discord I mentioned earlier. You can join that Discord uh, and take part in fun conversations. That's also where you get most of your Patreon benefits, like contributing to upcoming episodes and doing Galactic Council votes. And finally, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. It increases visibility and uh, makes more people know about Twilight Imperium, which we all want because we want more people to play with us. And it gives more visibility for our podcast, which, you know, is nice because we like making this for you. And the more people that see it, the more reasons we have to do it. So thank you. Hunter, who do we want to thank from our Patreon? Um, I want to thank Rolo, Ledgerman of the Coons. I want to thank the fabulous Chris Show, And I want to thank Norman Ma. Wonderful. And Hunter, you have some comedy dates coming up. Yeah, up? so um, I, my name is Hunter Donaldson. Hi, you've been listening to the show, and I've been like a little bit part of it. Um, but I am not only on this show, I am also a stand-up comedian in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, and I have some dates I want to throw at you. Um, on Saturday, June 2nd at 7.30 p.m., I will be doing a show that I run with several friends of mine. It happens in the backyard of a friend of mine's house. Um, it is a very cool show. Yeah, I want to preface that sounds 
weird and sketchy and like a lame thing. I've been to this show before. It's really cool. It's just a different take on doing a stand-up comedy show. It's not just like, oh, we put it in my friend's backyard. They like built a stage in right. this backyard. It is a show. It is a cool fun thing there is a treehouse there is like beautiful lighting yeah. um there will be uh beer available there um i will say this uh if you come up to me if you come to the show and you say hey i'm from space cats peace turtles you are not paying for any beer that night you will be you'll be <laughs> the drinks are for free i will tell you that um the show is called it's a stupid title i came up with it because i'm stupid it's called comedy party house show comedy and um, it will be happening on, like I said, Saturday, June 2nd, starts at 7.30 p.m. And the address, <laughs> and this feels, this is the part that feels yeah, weird. Yeah, it's on a venue, it is again, right, this right. house. The address of my friend Adam's house, uh, who knows <laughs> that I'm doing this, and he is excited and loves the show, and he's very good. Um, his address is 6346 North Maryland Avenue, that is in the Portland, that is in Portland, Oregon, that is uh, the north side of Portland. All right, so... That um, was weird. That was weird. It's a fun show and you should come to it. It's very good. It's a very special time. If you don't like, if you're like a nervous about going to comedy shows, this is like the best one to go to the, as like a starter. This is the best, the best show that I run yeah. um, is this show. And it will be happening a couple times this summer. Uh, but obviously it's like a summertime thing. Um, some other uh, shows I want to tell you about. On Saturday, June 9th at 12 p.m., you can come to Yolks and Jokes at The Lamp. Uh, that is a brunch time comedy show during the daytime. It's very fun. Again, similar to my other offer, if you come up to me and say, hey, I'm from Space Cats Peace Turtles, you will get a mimosa from this guy for freebies. Um, and then... <laughs> what, are, what, what are we... Are we selling things that we're just selling alcohol now? Well, I just podcast? I just want Space Cats people to come out to comedy, yeah. and I just want there to be like a, like a, a special reason. little... You gotta like, entice I want them. you to come, and I want you to feel special, because I'm going to treat you special, you know? <laughs> um, and then this last one is very important for me uh, in a very specific way. On Tuesday, June 26th at 10 p.m., I will be at the Helium Comedy Club performing in the Portland's Funniest Person Contest. This is a contest um, where the eventually funniest person in Portland will be crowned. They will win a cash prize. They will be, most cool. importantly, working at Helium, which is currently my goal as a comedian. Um, I would love it if you would come. I would love it if you would vote for me if you feel like I was the funniest person in the round. Uh, again, it starts at 10 p.m. June 26th at Helium Comedy Club. Um, if you would like to go, the tickets are ten dollars. This is the only one of these events that costs money. However, if if you if you're really into it, you can call the Helium Comedy Club ahead of time and say, "Hey, Hunter Donaldson told me to buy t tickets," and then they will give them to you for five dollars. Um, it would mean so much to me if you would come out and see me do this show. Um, and come up to me and say, hey, I'm from Space Cats, and I won't get you anything for free there because <laughs> it's a little not <laughs> Kind of pricey. Well, I don't get anything for free right. there. The, uh, this, this one's a, a big deal, and, and I hope people do come out for that one because this competition is not a joke. It's yeah. kind of like... A lot of Portland comedians' careers are sort of like made. It is after. the most important uh, part of the year for uh, for Portland yeah. local comedians. Yeah. It's it, it, it is a big deal. Um, and I've competed in the past and and done well. And I hope to do well this year. I think I probably will. Right. Um, also, in general, like if you if you don't like you hear me talk about this comedy stuff and you're like I don't even know like what you're talking about, just go on YouTube and type Hunter Donaldson comedian and yeah. there are two clips there and you can watch it and be like, oh okay, I'm into this. This is like my right. kind of thing. I think if you like silly, goofy humor, like some of the stuff that we do on the show, you'd probably be into it. Yeah. Um, let's do the play of the week. Let's do the play of the week. 
Uh, this one is from Federico. I believe Federico is Edoir on Reddit. I'm pretty ah. sure that's true. Ah. Um, but he emailed this one to us, and it's about Hakan, and it's about trading as Hakan. Ooh, can I do it? Yeah. Okay. I'm a Hakan player. <laughs> All I want from my games is to establish peaceful borders, trade with my many friends, and ensure peace and prosperity for myself and my soon-to-be loyal subjects. So he's trading. He's just doing it right. Just he's, doing the he's, right thing. he's making buddies. Good he's trade. trading with his friends. It's great. Thus, however, when one of my neighbors decided to take a tech specialty planet that I owned for a while, I first tried to negotiate. Take it next round, I said. I'll research one more, and then we can work it out. It was a very tech-heavy game, so these planets were fairly contested. I had occasionally offered people money to conquer a planet or facilitated similar deals, among others, so I thought a trade would, could work. If the timing was to my advantage, that is. But no, he wanted it now. He was not to offer me trade goods or other assistances. He just said he needed it, that it wasn't personal, and that he wouldn't take anything else, and expected no retaliation. Boy, he was wrong. I got completely crushed in the invasion as his fleet trampled my mere symbolic defenses. The planet was his. He simply smiled and said, Don't worry, I won't push further. Right. On my turn... I look at all the other players, and as most of my diplomacy kind of rested on the idea that, sure, I had plenty of tech and cash, but I was playing very light in military terms. I thought it prudent to ask, is it okay with you guys if I build some fleet? I want to take that back, and I did not like the move. A couple players snickered and gave me a thumbs up. I spent some time gathering resources, calling in favors and so on, then go for my home system to build. Slowly, I pull out a bunch of fighters and ground troops. Quite a bit, in fact. I needed tokens. People are smiling. Then I got a carrier. People nod. Then two dreadnoughts. Some people are snickering now. Then I add a war sun. Wait, when did you get war sun tech? Some ask. Another war sun. Now everything is dead silence. I look at my neighbor. Don't worry. I won't push further. That's, that's, that's a story from TI3, Hakan, actually. <gasps> But that just goes to show, like, that's what Hakan is capable of. Is right. If you establish this bankroll, you can just turn things around in an instant. If you, if you have one good round, suddenly your fleets can become this terrifying, dominating presence on the board. And that's what we're going to try to help you do next week. Let's get out of here. We've talked enough. Hunter, you look like you have a final remark. Go ahead. Uh, let's just, I just, I just want to say, like, good job, team. Uh... <laughs> Matt, uh, I, th I think we did good. Uh, I just want to say maybe next week, like try with more cat jokes, maybe pictures yeah. of cats, yeah. maybe more like I'm gonna meowing. Be, I'm going to be rehearsing some cat jokes throughout the week. Yeah, just um, like fun cat stuff. And maybe like w like you have a cat, Pat, yeah. is uh, the cat's name. That's Cat and, Pat. Yeah, and maybe like that? if Pat could maybe open the show, that might be good. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. And like, you know, I, I think it was a decent episode, but it could have been better in a lot of ways. Sure. I kind of feel like I brought sure. a lot to it. And then like... You know, it was like, what is this guy doing? Well, Hunter, you know I want to thank I want to thank you for really giving it your all this week, right? right. And uh, just really contributing to the team and the spirit. And I want to thank Matt for contributing to the Patreon, and by that I mean making it. <laughs> mm. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at BenPruntyMusic.com and BenPrunty.BandCamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>